Welcome to Angels Exits and Acquisitions, the place to learn how to fund, scale, exit, and massively profit as an angel investor or entrepreneur. Brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. And now, here's your host, Jeff Barnes. All right, hello and welcome everyone. This is Jeff Barnes with Angel Investors Network, and this is the Angels Exits and Acquisition Podcast. And I am very excited about our guest today, who has helped people buy and sell hundreds of businesses over her career. And I first want to say hi to my lovely co-host here, Mr. Erock. How are you, Erock? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on the show. Look forward to having another amazing guest and doing some really cool things in the investment world ourselves. So it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, let's go ahead and dive on into our guest and our show today, because today we're going to be talking about building a business as an asset. Building a business is going to help the entrepreneur, the founder, and the investor actually create wealth in their life. I'm really excited to announce our guest, Ms. Mishila Sealer-Tucker. She's the founder and CEO of Sealer-Tucker Incorporated. She's sold hundreds of businesses today and currently owns and operates several successful businesses. She's the leading authority on buying, selling, and improving businesses as well as increasing a business's revenue streams. A formidable force in her industry, Michelle closes 98% of all offers she writes and on average obtains a 20 to 40% higher selling price for her clients. Her remarkable track record proves her persistence and dedication to creating win-win situations for both her buyers and sellers. In addition, Michelle is the best-selling author of Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, which details how to enhance the value of business to obtain its optimal selling price. Whether working with her private clients or her avid readers, Michelle strives to help buyers from all walks of life buy the American dream, create financial freedom, be their own boss, and obtain a better quality of life. And I know she's even writing a new book that's coming out here in a few months. It's going to be talking a little bit more about that. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you here. And I know that this is a topic that a lot of people are going to need to know about as they're building a business or investing in business. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had different types of businesses. I've had publishing businesses. I've had magazines. I even had a wedding event company at one time. But I also worked for corporate America. So I used to work for Xerox. I got hired by Xerox away from my competition. And my nickname at Xerox was called The Closer. When anybody couldn't close a deal, they would have me come in and close a deal. Within six months of Xerox, Xerox asked me to apply for the regional manager's position and really oversee, I think, four or five states, 85 salespeople, et cetera. And I said, Michelle, you'll never get it, but you should apply for it because the experience will be great. So I said, okay. So I applied for it. Sorry to interrupt, but don't you love it when corporate America says, you'll never get it, but just go ahead and do it anyway, right? (laughs) And let me guess, you proved them wrong, right? I did prove them wrong. It was a grueling experience because it was like six interviews with a bunch of executives and, you know, demonstrating high volume copiers and printers, et cetera. And I did get it. And I was up against a bunch of my peers. I've been at Xerox for 10, 15, 20 years. And I got the position and everybody hated me. <laughs> like literally all of my friends hated me. I wasn't invited to anything anymore. Nobody was sitting with me at the lunch table. It was crazy. Oh my goodness. And then what I learned in being in management right away with corporate America is you're not selling anymore. What you're doing is planning a meeting to actually have a meeting to plan another meeting. So I was in meetings all the time, so much red tape, so much bureaucracy that I just decided I didn't like it anymore. 
even though I was making more money, I was making six figures. I had great benefits. I didn't have any friends. <laughs> and I wasn't doing what I love to do, which is selling and building lifetime relationships with my friends. So I started looking at other opportunities. I wasn't going to leave Xerox, but I was going to buy into another business. So I started looking at different business opportunities, different franchise opportunities. And I was about to purchase one when they said, no, Michelle, we don't want you to purchase us. We want you to partner with us and help us grow our franchise brand throughout the U.S. They only have two locations. And then they said, and we'll give you a franchise for doing that. So I did that. I partnered with them. I ended up selling hundreds of franchises in a very short period of time. But what I realized with them pretty quickly is that they were over-promising and under-delivering. And I was stuck in the middle. So here I am trying to deliver what they promised, trying to keep my franchisees happy. And then the franchisor is getting upset with me because I'm not on their team. I'm not on their side, taking their side. So anyway, I decided to let them buy me out. And I transitioned into selling companies. As I transitioned into selling companies, I learned pretty quickly that eight out of 10 businesses will not sell for a multitude of reasons. And because eight out of 10 will not sell, then I transitioned into fixing businesses. Then I transitioned into partnering with business owners, putting out my money, my expertise, my resources, bringing other partners in to build these businesses so they are actually sellable. And then I also buy businesses and flip them like somebody would flip real estate. So that's how I got into it. And I started, you know, when I transitioned into doing it, I was transitioning to selling coffee shops and pizzerias and all that stuff. But now I am one of three women who is an M&A MI, which is a mergers and acquisitions master intermediary. I specialize in selling businesses to million and up now. Awesome. That's an incredible track record. And I got to say, I love your journey going into corporate America and then getting the promotion and going up the ladder and then realizing your core strength was not being utilized. And as a result, transition that back into something that you could actually make a profound impact with. Right. So I know a lot of people struggle with that. That's a scary thing to realize. You know, they get the golden handcuffs, right? They get into a position where they're paid really well, they're doing really well, but it's not a passion, but they're too scared to leave that. And so, so many people get stuck in that. So I commend you on just right. let alone making that decision as well as everything else you did after the fact. Well, thank you. And, you know, that's one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is they promote their top salesperson to management. You should never do that. <laughs> yep. You know, I hear that time and time again. Is there a closer? Keep them a closer. <laughs> yeah. If you have a great closer, just let them close all day long and, you know, make the pie a little bit sweeter for them, right? But let them keep doing that. Absolutely. So one of the things that you said is that when you started going down this path of helping business owners sell their companies, you realized 80% of them could not be sold. And I'm assuming these are mostly small businesses, right? They're not necessarily like C corporations that are doing 10 million, 20 million, $100 million a year already. They're they're probably your smaller businesses, but maybe you can dive into that. Why is it that 80% could not be sold? Is it the structure or the team or what was it? And what were some of the things that you kind of helped people understand so they could transition into finally being able to sell their business? So that's not actually correct. You got C corps and S corps that are doing a half million dollars a year. You got C-Corps and S-Corps doing, you know, a million dollars a year. Um, even your larger businesses that are grossing $4 million, $5 million, $10 million, some of those are not sellable either. And they're not sellable for a lot of reasons. And if you read my new book called Exit Rich, it's a step-by-step blueprint of how to build a sellable company, but why businesses don't sell. So number one, one of the number one reasons businesses don't sell is because the owners have waited too long to put the business on the market. And the business is now turning downward. Okay. So 
when we look at selling businesses, we look at is a business operating in all six P's and what is our buyer looking for? What is our buyer's criteria? What is our buyer's wanting to buy? If a business doesn't have, if a $10 million company doesn't have proper management team in place, and by the way, there are lots of $10 million companies that don't have management team in place. If they don't have that team in place, they're not going to be sellable because most buyers are not buying a job. They want to make sure that management team is there. That is very true. So that's an awesome point of clarification then, because my assumption would have been that you were going in and you're looking at these businesses and they just didn't even structure it right from the get-go. But you're saying that it's not even built as an asset to begin with. It's not. That's correct. And and go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, I definitely want you to dive into that. But you also mentioned the 6P method, which we're going to get into. And so that's a great transition. Can you explain what that 6P method is? Yeah, and sure. And that's what Exit Rich is all about is the 6P method. And you know, the businesses that operate on all six cylinders are the ones that are sellable. The ones that don't are typically not sellable. And I can give you a few examples. But the most important thing in any business is people. If you don't have people, then you have a glorified job. You don't have an actual business. So having tenured people that have been with you for a long time, that are properly trained, that understand the business, that maybe have non-competes in place, have employee contracts in place. It's important to have a management team in place, especially if it's a larger business. You have to have those things. If you don't have people, nobody's going to want to buy your business. Number two is product. You have to ask yourself, are you an Amazon? Are you at the top of your field? Is your product or service an Amazon? Or are you a blockbuster? Are you about to die? Is your business thriving or dying? So look at your product, look at your service and see where you are. And if your business is starting to die like the retail sector, then you must do something in order to reinvent yourself, market. And that's the biggest mistake that business owners make is that they stop innovating and they stop marketing. So you need to innovate and you need to market if you're in a dying industry. And then number three is process. And process is typically overlooked but it can make a business go under and it can break a business very quickly. So, you know, ask yourself, are my processes productive? Are they efficient? Are they well-documented? Do I have employee handbooks? Do I have training manuals? Do I have operations manual? When somebody takes over this business, is it well-documented? I mean, have you ever watched the movie, The Founder, based on a McDonald's story? Yep, absolutely. They went to a tennis court and spent eight hours on an empty tennis court with all of their team Mapping out the process, who takes the order, who grows the burgers, who puts the mustard on the bun, who puts the two pickles. Process is huge. And then the fourth P is very important, is proprietary. So proprietary has a lot of different pillars that we look at. Number one, how well branded are you? The Coca-Cola brand alone will sell for how much? Over $70 billion. That's just the brand. I think it's $79 billion. That's not the assets, that's not the inventory, that's not the real estate, that's not the cash flow. Just the brand alone. So the longer you've been in business, if you've innovated and marketed, and the more well-branded you are, the more you can get for your business. Then in proprietary, do you have any patents? Do you have any trademarks? Do you have any contracts? If you have contracts, you need to make sure they're transferable. And one of the most overlooked IPs out there is databases. Mm-hmm. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. But WhatsApp had what Facebook wanted. It was a billion users. They knew they could ROI and they could monetize that. 
And then the fifth P is patrons. Do you have customer concentration or your customers diversified? If 80% of your revenue is tied up into three or four customers, you're dead in the water. You lose one or two customers, you're out of business. And then, of course, profits is the last P. We all want to be profitable. You'd be surprised how many large companies are not profitable. Profit is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not operating on the other five Ps. I love that. And I'm going to give E-Rock a chance to ask a question, but I could dive into this all day. I wrote a book called All Hands on Deck, and it's all about process and optimization of systems and so on. So I'm so glad you went into that because it is incredibly valuable. But E-Rock, I'll let you go ahead and take over because otherwise I will just ask questions all day on this. Yeah, which by the way, there are like a lot of synergistic questions that I'm enjoying as well. So in the kind of trenches of what you're doing, so two questions. One is out of the six P's that you find, what do you find is the most neglected or the biggest mistake that the business owners are making? And then the other statistic that the intro was is you have this insanely high, in essence, conversion rate. And I'm (laughs) curious to learn about how you were able to get that and kind of maybe even how you're tracking that. Okay. So what do you want first? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what would you say out of the six P's, the one that you find is the most neglected and that most owners are missing out on and making mistakes? Okay. So I want to back up a little bit and say the number one mistake, and then I'll address the six P's, okay? But the number one mistake that sellers make is they don't plan their exit. That's number one. And in Exit Rich, we talk about the ST, Seller Tucker GPS exit model, where you plan your exit from the beginning. Most sellers never think about selling until they have to sell for a multitude of reasons. As far as the six Ps go, I would say the top two mistakes is an IP proprietary. Lots and lots of business owners have contracts, but they're not transferable. This will kill a deal because 99.9% of all transactions are asset sales. They're not stock sales. I had a business in Kansas City I saw that was transportation and they had, gosh, 150 to 200 medical transporting vehicles. And they had contracts with hospitals and nursing homes and doctors and ask them from the beginning, are your contracts transferable? And of course, they told me yes. And everybody always says, yes, my contracts are transferable. And they're never transferable. <laughs> and so I looked at his contracts and I said, they're not transferable. And he had probably a couple hundred contracts. I said, go start working on those and get those transferable because it's not going to be a stock sale. It's going to be an asset sale. So I don't know, six months, eight months later, we get a buyer. Buyer gives us a full price offer. Asset sell. I actually think he gave us a little bit over full price, but anyway, asset sell. And I called my buyer and I said, Look, I got an offer. Tell me you got all those contracts transferred. He goes, Oh, no, I've been busy. <laughs> Great. Luckily for me, I was able to talk my buyer into doing a stock sell. If I wouldn't have done that, we would have lost that buyer. Okay, so that's probably one of the number one mistakes. Another big mistake is, oh my God, I can give you so many, but another big mistake is in financials and profits. Most business owners have no idea what they're making. You know, there's 30 million businesses in the United States. 99% of them are small business owners. A lot of business owners, even large businesses, we're selling business right now for $10 million. They're running about a million dollars of personal expenses through their business. Most of these business owners have no idea what they're running through the business. 
So they'll send us like five years of bank statements, month to month bank statements, and I'll highlight them and I expect us to go calculate them. <laughs> so that's one of the biggest mistakes is business owners have no idea what their numbers are. They don't know what their numbers are. Well, it's kind of crazy. I was just talking to a company that was interested in collaborating with us and doing some advisory stuff. And I kind of talked about their business metrics going in and they talked about how they had this amazing year and they grew 35%. And I was like, well, how did that translate into profits? <laughs> He's like, well, we lost a million dollars last year and they were trying to figure out what happened. Um, right. So that's obviously pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And that's what I always say. Profits is never the problem. It's a symptom. <laughs> so something big happened with either people, process, proprietary or patron. Well, you talked about leveraging your experience of obviously have done this for a long time and having this amazing certifications and processes in place that you were able to take what potentially could have been an explosion or implosion of a deal. Mm -hmm. And then you got the buyer to pivot and made the sale happen, which goes back to this insanely high kind of conversion rate of making deals happen. When did you kind of start tracking that? What do you feel is things that people can learn from? how you've been able to make be so effective at it so i track everything i am the tracking queen <laughs> i mean and i'm the first to jump on an employee when they don't track where a lead came from everything in this office gets tracked we have proprietary um, crm contact relation management software everything gets tracked from where the lead came from from when we met with them to closing how many buyers, et cetera, and everything gets put into the CRM. So we do a really good job up front. We do a really good job evaluating that business up front, evaluating it not just on the EBITDA, earnings, differentials, taxes, depreciation, amortization, but also evaluating it on the 6B. And because I've been in business for so long, we have over 15,000 buyers. So we know what buyers are looking for. So we know... When we bring certain buyers to the table, if they don't have a management team in front of them, don't bring this set of buyers. There's five different types of buyers, by the way. So don't bring private equity groups to buy a business that doesn't have a management team in place. So we do a lot of our due diligence up front. We also work with our clients to say, look, get your ducks in a row. Get a management team in place. Get your financials together. Get audited financials. You know, whatever they're lacking in the six Ps, we work with them during the process. So when we write up an offer, we allow our clients to do a lot of their due diligence up front, meet with the owner, get all their questions answered, you know, talk to the CFO if they can, talk to the CPA, et cetera, so that when they're ready to make an offer, they have the back. I love it. So you mentioned something, you know, first off, there's the five different types of buyers. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. But before you do, you also mentioned that a buyer doesn't want to buy a job. Now, when I'm working with an early stage company or an entrepreneur who is looking to potentially get angel investing cap money or go out and get a loan or, or some way capitalize their business, one of the first things we try to tell them is, are you buying yourself a job or are you building a business that is an asset? And I'm assuming when you go to these five different types of buyers, that's one of the biggest things they're looking for is, is this actually an asset that I can build and make money with? Or am I buying something where I have to keep the person in place and who knows if it's ever going to succeed, right? Right. I mean, especially, so do you want me to go over the five types of buyers? Yeah, let's, let's go into it. <laughs> okay. So five types of buyers, 
you've got competitive slash strategic buyers. Okay. So those are your competitors. Like for instance, we're selling a bus company right now. We've reached out to all their competitors. We've reached out to everybody in the busing industry. So all the strategics, all the competitors. Most competitors and strategics will overlook certain things. If they've got management team in place, maybe they don't need a management team, right? But if they don't, and if they're trying to get a foothold in Louisiana and they don't have a management team in place, then they're going to make sure that they're not going to want that company to have a management team. Okay. But some competitors might say, look, I already got all the management team. All I need is local employees. So it really depends upon what that competitor or that strategic person is looking at. Competitors or strategic buyers will pay more for synergies. For instance, I sold a oil manufacturing business in South Louisiana, and we appraised that company in a $9 million range. And that company ended up selling, we had about 500 buyers for that business, it ended up selling for $15 million for 70%. That's a 65% increase. We had over 500 buyers, several LOIs on this business. This buyer was willing to outbid everybody else because he was buying one thing and one thing only. He had a similar product, but different. This company had a contract with BP. 60, they had customer concentration, which is scary for most buyers. 60% of their revenue was tied up in BP. This buyer had been trying to get in the door for BP for years with their products and couldn't do it. They were willing to outbid everybody else and pay $15 million for 70% of that company just so they could get BP. Nice. So competitors and strategics will outbid other people and buy that certain synergy. So some strategics are looking for a good team, a good management team, and they're willing to pay for that. Some are looking for a customer, a contract that they don't have and are willing to pay for that. Some are looking for a database that they don't have and are willing to pay for that. Then you have private equity groups. So private equity groups buy two ways. They buy a platform and they buy add-ons. So if they're buying a platform, let's say they want to get into pet food manufacturing and they're not in pet food manufacturing now. They will only look at companies that have an EBITDA of $3 million and up. They will never look at anything under $3 million because there's not enough money to support the growth. Correct? Mm-hmm. And then they buy add-ons. So let's say they have a pet food manufacturing business. Now they're ready to buy add-ons. So they'll buy other smaller pet food companies as an add-on, and they'll consider under a million dollars in EBITDA. But they usually always want a management team in place. Does that make sense? Right. Okay. And then you have your sophisticated buyers. I have several of those. I actually called one yesterday and said, look, I got this bus company for sale. We need to make an offer on it. <laughs> and he did that day. So sophisticated wow. are those individuals Probably like the two of you, that you guys are investors, sophisticated like to invest. They like to be diversified and like to invest in a lot of different things. This particular buyer is an invest, he's a CPA, he's an attorney, he's invested in hospitals, construction, manufacturing, all kinds of different things. So I said, why not buses? <laughs> and then you have your first-time buyers. And first-time buyers, they might not care as much about people because they're buying a job. They're leaving corporate America. They got laid off. They are going to use their um, 401k to, to, put the, to, to purchase the business without paying taxes and penalties to come up with a down payment. And so they're looking for stability. They're looking for branding. They're looking for a good industry, something stable. It's been in business you know, typically five years or longer, and they don't necessarily need a management team. And then you have your turnaround specialists and are looking for those businesses that are um, distressed assets. Right. 
Does that answer your question? That does. When I go and I talk to a business, we're trying to help them get ready for raising capital. One of the things that we require them to have on a pitch deck is their exit strategy. Because an investor, especially in an early stage company, wants to know how they're going to get their money back. But most companies, they list something that's not even on your list as the number one way to exit, which is an IPO. And we all know that's the most expensive and it takes the longest amount of time, least likely to happen, Mm -hmm. exit strategy. So I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if whether you're an entrepreneur who's starting a business or you're an investor investing in business, really take a hard look at what that exit plan looks like at the very beginning, right? And how soon do you tell a business to start figuring out their exit strategy? From day one. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, from day one. I call it the GPS exit. And here's the bottom line. When you drive somewhere, you use your phone now, right? You guys are probably too young to remember when we used to use a map. Wait, what's a, what's a map? A map? Like- <laughs> what's a map? So, so now with your GPS, what do you do? You put in your destination, right? Where you want to go. And what does the GPS pick up on? It picks up on your current location where you're located now. Well, same thing for your business. You All business owners should always know what their business is worth today. And I guarantee you, I speak on stage in front of audiences, in front of 800 people or more. I spoke on stage with Eric Trump, Mayor Giuliani, Kathy Ireland, and I always ask everybody, do you know what your business is worth today? And I might see two hands go up, and they're probably not even telling the truth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So every business owner needs to know what their business is worth today. So you need to know where you're starting from, number one. Then you need to know, just like the GPS, where are you going? What's your final destination? What do you want to sell your business for? If you want to sell your business for $20 million, and your business today is worth $5 million, you have some work to do, right? Right. And then you need to know, okay, well, if I want to sell a $20 million business, who buys $20 million companies? It's not first-time buyers. It's not turnaround specialist. It's going to be either a peg, a strategic, or a sophisticated, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have a manufacturing plant and I want to sell for $20 million, and these are my three groups of buyers, what do they look for? What do my revenues have to be? What do my revenues have to be? 10 million, 15 million, 20 million? What does my EBITDA have to be? 4 million, 5 million? What does my management team have to look like? So I have to have non-competes and my processes have to be well-documented. Then I have to have customer diversification. Yep. I have to have transferable contracts. And then that's how you build your company to sell for your desired price tag. Nobody really does that. I have a tree company that called me about six months ago and said, Michelle, I've been building my business for 30 years to sell. I started it with the end in mind. Nobody's ever said that to me. I've been doing this 20 years. I've sold over 500 companies. He says, I want to sell for $25 million. I said, why? How did you come up with that number? He said, that's just my number. (laughs) I said, okay. So we're doing the evaluation right now. He's not close to 25 million, but I can get him there. I'm working to get him there. Okay. So that's what I always tell business owners. When you start or buy a business, start planning your exit. We do this with our kids. Do y'all have kids? Yep. As far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> so we do this with our kids. We map out their future. We want to say where they're going to go to school. Are they going to go to private school? You know, we want, we want them to be an attorney. We want them to be a doctor. We, most kids and most parents don't say, I want my kid to be an entrepreneur other than me, maybe. <laughs> but we map that out. What grade school are you going to go to? What college? Look at the college scandal right now of all the parents, you know, of so many parents 
bribing uh, the colleges to get their kids into a good school. They map out their future for their kid, but most business owners never map out their future for their business. Well, one thing I'm curious to learn, Michelle, is obviously you're doing such a great job of being able to help to put these deals together, high success rates. I'm assuming that you're doing the same thing when potential sellers are coming to you and saying, I want to sell my business. You're evaluating that process and then you're evaluating in the end in mind, like if this is going to be a good relationship. So obviously like you're dealing with, you know, 15,000 buyers, probably a lot of deal flow coming in. What's an example of like businesses or enterprises that maybe you don't want to deal with or industry or what's kind of too small or what's not a good fit for working with you? Yeah. So that's a good question. In New Orleans, which is where I'm located, only 20 cases so far of the coronavirus. <laughs> but supposedly one in this high rise building that I'm in right now. But that's a good question because for me, my sweet spot is working with selling businesses that are $10 million up in purchase price. And that's typically a $1 million to $2 million EBITDA and up. I do have a team of analysts, a team of marketers, a team of brokers, and they will sell smaller companies in the Louisiana market. We get leads across the country for smaller businesses. And sometimes it's not worth it for us to travel to New York to sell a pizzeria. But we do have brokers that we work with and we're expanding Salar Tucker. We're starting to open up offices in different cities and different states. But me personally, it's typically the 10 million and up. However, if I get a personal referral, you know, for a business that's a million, then I'll take it because it was a personal referral directly to me. Awesome. Well, like I said, we could go all day with this because I just love talking about this topic in general. But we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here, Michelle. And I have two final questions for you. The first question is, what has been your favorite mistake that you've made, witnessed, or been a part of throughout your career? And the second is, how can people learn more about you, find your book, and get in touch with you? Okay. I'm going to answer that question, but I want to say one more thing, too, that I haven't said that I think it's so imperative for your audience members to know, is that when I wrote my first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, in 2013, I did the research and back then, 85 to 95% of all businesses that opened up within the first one to five years were glad of business. Do you remember those statistics? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Everybody talks about that. Well, when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, and I did the research again, I had my team do the research. I didn't believe it. I had them do it like five different times. The research has changed dramatically. The business landscaping has changed dramatically. This is why it's so imperative to plan your exit and build your business to sell. Now it's 30% of businesses will go out of business in one to five years, 30%, not 85 to 95 anymore. Now it's a whopping 70% of businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer will go out of business. 10 years or longer will go out of business. And that's out of a sampling of 27 million businesses. Wow. My co-author, Sharon Lecter, who wrote Rich Jeff Fordow with Robert Kiyosaki, she said, Michelle, I don't believe it. I said, well, I didn't believe it either. <laughs> That's why I researched it five times. So this is business landscape has changed dramatically. You hear the big stories like Toys R Us went out of business. JCPenney's, Kmart, GNC just closed down 900 locations. Mm -hmm. You hear the big stories, right? But what about the businesses on every corner and every street and every city and every state across this great nation that are losing their businesses? And they don't just lose their business. They lose their family assets. 
because they commingled. They did a personal guarantee and a lease. Or they mortgaged their home and they lose all of their family assets. So I think that's important for people to know. Yeah. Um, what was the other question? <laughs> Your favorite mistake, something you've gone through. Oh, my favorite mistake was probably the very first deal I did. <laughs> the very first business transaction I ever did. It was, it was a flower shop. And, you know, I sold lots of franchises. But I never sold a flower shop. Uh, our businesses. So <laughs> existing businesses. So with franchises, when you sell new franchises, you go in and you negotiate a new lease. With existing businesses, you have an existing lease that needs to be negotiated. So I talked to the attorney. The buyer and seller wanted to close. We got an attorney involved. And the attorney told me, you don't have to come to the table with the lease because we can't get a hold of the landlord. I go to the closing without the lease. The buyer was furious. The seller was furious. And the attorney threw me under the table. Of course, the attorney said, oh, no, I told you you had to have a lease. I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't tell me I had to have a lease. That's probably been one of my biggest mistakes. It's amazing how we just learned so much in the School of Hard Knocks, right? No amount of education or books could have told you how to prepare for that one. Right. So now I record everything. So if an attorney tells me I don't need a lease, I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Awesome, Michelle. Well, this has been a great interview. I love it. I love having people like you on the podcast and helping people understand how to build business that's going to create wealth and as an asset and, and, of course, exiting rich. Who doesn't want to do that? So why don't you tell us a little bit about how people can find you, how they can reach you, and how they can get a copy of your book? Sure. So they can go to SylerTucker.com, SylerTucker.com, and that's S-E-I-L-E-R, Tucker, U-C-K-E-R.com. They can also go to exitrichbook.com. We have huge offers where Sharon and I, Sean Lecter and I are giving away masterminds, weekend retreats, online education, one-on-one consultations, evaluations, etc. If you buy more than, you know, two or three books. So go to exitrichbook.com, take advantage of those offers. If you want to just purchase one book, you can go to amazon.com. You can also reach us at, can I get my number out? If you would like to, yeah, absolutely. You can reach us at 504-525-1717. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And Michelle, again, this has been an incredible interview. I think in the past, you've actually sat on a panel for one of our events, Pitch Tank. I was talking with one of my friends, Greg Ryder, and he mentioned that you might have actually been a judge on a former event. I was. I sat right next to Steve Forbes. So, by the way, gave us a testimonial for Exit Rich. Awesome. <laughs> and I sat next to Steve Forbes and I think Kevin Harrington, who Kevin Harrington wrote our forward. Cool. Do so you put that show together? That's awesome. Yeah. And we'll talk about that after we finish up the recording for sure. But I, I definitely want to say again, thank you very much, Michelle, for being here, being on the Angels Exit and Acquisitions podcast. Really do appreciate your time. Uh, E-Rock, any final words? Just amazing insights and information, and it's great to see that we have a powerful woman that is in the business world doing amazing things, and hopefully you're inspiring other. I've got two daughters, and hopefully they'll be inspired by you and your story and and helping children and women everywhere go accomplish their dreams, so it's good to see what you're doing. Wonderful. I have a nine-year-old daughter, and she's more complicated than any business (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm blessed with two boys. So right now, anyway, it's pretty easy. <laughs> I think boys are easier than girls for sure. <laughs> but they might get more broken bones, but <laughs> they're not as emotional. I forgot about that. Well, again, thank you very much, Michelle. I really do appreciate having you here today. 
Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Michelle. You've been listening to Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions with your host, Jeff Barnes, brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Go to www.angelnetwork.com for tools, resources, show notes, and more, as well as our free training on how to become a successful angel investor and entrepreneur.